on this real quickly in that we, there's more than what we're going to present to you today. Some had to be out of town. Sickness has uh, taken a couple of these, and so we're going to be doing this again here in a couple of weeks. We'll kind of let them regather, and then we'll present them to the church. But it means something for people to add their agreement to this fellowship. We know how to worship, but our ability to respond in amen still still just kind of hanging there in the balance there. <laughs> so, but it really does. I mean, I just want you to know that there's, you know, the ch- churches have to, we have to have structure. We have to have order. We have to have cooperative fellowship. We have to agree to agree and agree to disagree. Right? Because if you don't, then you're never going to you're never going to do anything collectively or good for the kingdom of God, isn't that right? Isn't the Bible doesn't the Bible tell us in many places about the power of agreement, right? Or the power of multiplication? You know, if two or three gather, I'm in the midst. So one can chase a thousand, but two can put ten thousand to flight. Do you see this? You know, we see this. So there's power. In agreement, and the Bible says, you know, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And so, with men and women, I really value the 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 moment when people say, you know what, Pastor Brown, I want to add my agreement to the men and women that are First Assembly of God. I want to I want to join. I believe in the doctrine. I believe in the spirit of worship that's present. I believe in the pastors, the leaders, the uh, the board. I believe in the the direction of the church. And, and I just thank God for this today. And our church is qu- quite a bit larger than the people that are always here on Sundays because this is a unique season, isn't it? And we just have to roll with it, right? We just go with it. And so a lot of our church family still uh, are, are not participating in live worship, but they're, they're participating on Facebook Live or they listen through the week. And so, but, but it, so it's a broader fellowship. But the key is, is agreement, isn't it? It's not always, I mean, we want to see somebody in the seat, but more importantly, we want to have somebody in agreement, right? And that's what we are wanting to recognize today. The men and women that have come forward have chosen to add their agreement. So we're going to recognize them today. And if I miss somebody whose name I do not call out here today, then say, you don't have to raise your hand today. See me privately. So we'll do it again in a couple weeks, and I'll make sure that I, I do it because, you know, that's always possible. That I do, across, across, and somebody didn't turn in paperwork to me, but we've got a couple, uh, we've got Sister Megan Beard, and these are in alphabetical order. Sister Megan, you're going to come first right here, and she's going to stand in front of our church family. Amen. We're, Megan's a fiery little gal. And uh, Brother Ernest Dew is coming to us today, and this is a very sweet and precious man of God right here. But we are honored to have him. And our own prophetess, Kira Gifford, is coming forward now. And her husband's already been a member for some time, and so we're glad that she's here. Carol Littlejohn, Sister Carol's coming from all the way in the back. Pretty good family that Carol represents, isn't that right, Daniel? Pretty good family. Sweet and precious lady right there. Nadia Watson is coming. Where are you at, Sister Nadia? All the way over there on the left. Nadia and her family have been a part of the church for a long time, but she grew up and joined the church. And we're glad that you have chosen so, Nadia. And I was looking for Jennifer. I don't think Jennifer's here, and the other two I do not see as well. So I've got several more, as I said, that I left their cards on the table or on my desk because, again, sickness or out of town or something of that nature 
we'll recognize them in a few weeks. So I'm going to ask these five individuals if they'd turn around and look at Pastor Brown for just a moment. Thank you all so much for adding your agreement. You've been faithful, faithful from the time that you connected to this church family, faithful in giving, faithful in working, serving, loving. It's been a privilege to get to know you and to see your faith grow and mature and to be able to give into your lives but also receive and don't think that you don't bring anything to this fellowship. You bring a lot. Even when you say, Pastor, I might not be on the platform or might be working in a position, the handshake, the friendship, the smile, the encouragement, the, hey, I appreciate what God's doing, those things matter a lot. And I know this is a very gifted and talented group, and we're going to trust that God's going to unlock those gifts into this fellowship in even greater measure, and it's going to be multiplied. So I'm going to ask our church family to stand up, and we're going to pray over them together today, and then... I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, let the offering take place, and if people want to come through and greet them, but I'm going to be, I understand not everybody may want the handshake or the hug right now at the time in which we live in. So I'm just letting people feel, have their own. If you say, no, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, there's nothing wrong with that today. So that, you can just say, I want to go ahead and find my way back to my seat, and people can greet me one by one later at a different time. I'm okay. It's up to you. I just want you to know that here today. But we're going to pray over you. And we're going to just thank God for your fellowship that you have chosen to add to this assembly. You've made us stronger. You've made this church family stronger. You've given us greater vision. You've given us greater hope. We have greater potential now as a fellowship because of you. So let's add our agreement to them. Let's bless them today. Father, we love you. We stretch our hands out towards each one today. And we are so honored, God, that such, Father, such powerful people of God, such precious people of God, and such faithful people of God have chosen to add their agreement to this assembly. Lord, today I ask God in the name of Jesus that you would bless them. Father God, that you would, when I say that, Father, I do it in the context of what I read in the word of God. It said you would bless them coming in and you would bless them going out. You would bless them in the storehouse, the field, and the basket. You would make them above and not beneath, Father God. They would be blessed in whatever they set their hand and heart to do. Lord, I pray that as they add their agreement to this assembly, that they would never feel alone at any singular moment in time in, this, in, in, their, in their future. They would know that somebody cares for them. Somebody's praying for them. Somebody's adding their agreement to them, God, in Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, that they will do likewise. As they have freely received, they're going to freely give, God. So, Lord, I thank you for each one, for their families that they represent. God, let the blessing of God that's upon each of these individuals, Father God, be upon them and their families, God. Not just the individuals that's here, but a spouse or children or grandchildren, God. Let the blessing of God run them down, Father, in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said, amen and amen. I'll ask you all to turn around, if you would, and let the church family give you a great big God bless you today and here's how we're going to do it i'm going to go through and present them with a card give them a hug representing the church family and then you can make your way back to your seat and people can greet you from there privately one-on-one -on -one. we won't do the full thing today just because everybody's got a little bit different feelings about everything so but then the offering basket is there so that means it'll be time for offering and while people are standing they can then go around and present their offering to the lord and greet one another is that a fair deal we made a deal this morning, didn't we, Chris? We made a deal in church today. All right.
Man, I've been, I could go home right now. Don't do it. And say, I've been in church because I've got a word from the Lord for you and your family today. So it's time for receive the offering today. As I said, there are multiple ways to give here at Hebrew First Assembly. It says in person, HebrewFirst.com, this basket out in the foyer. Then when you do, take the time to go around and greet one another. And if you're sitting near somebody who just joined the church, they probably wouldn't mind if you shook their hand and said, God bless you for coming, being a part of our fellowship. God bless you today. Let's take a few minutes to give.
Good. All right, I'm going to ask you all to stand up with me one time. We're going to go ahead and we're not going to, I'm not going to. just what the word does to me when I study it and I just kind of it it just renews my faith and I feel really privileged when I have an opportunity to share the word of God with you and you know there it is no surprise again we're we're, we've announced last week that we're calling this the year of faith and so at least for the first few months of the year every sermon is designed to really speak to our faith and to 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 help us to shape it mold it develop it grow in it um and so we're just going to ask the Lord to just quicken his word, let preaching come easy in here today. You know, even on a blustery day, right? It can be blustery out there, but I'll tell you what, it can be just right on in here, right, today. So let's pray. Father, we love you, and I feel, God, very privileged to be able to share the things that I believe that you have placed in my heart with our church family. Father, I have prayed privately, and now I pray it publicly. As I've said so many times, Lord, Give me the tongue of the learned that I may have a word in season for he that is weary. But Father, equally as well, let the hearts of the people be prepared. God, let us, let us have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that's ready to understand the word of God today. Lord, I love you and I'm so grateful. Whatever you want to do to the preaching of the word and then perhaps even beyond, we just welcome that today. We welcome it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen and amen. I'm going to bring some clarification a little bit. You know, if I was in Numbers last week, Numbers chapter number 14, 13 and 14, and I'll probably allude to that here in just a few moments, but I'm going to probably, I'm going to attempt at least initially to change my disposition as I minister a little bit. Um, I get often very fast. Did y'all notice? Have y'all noticed that? Did y'all notice that? That I, only Lexi Dawson can out talk me at times. And um, on, on speed and pace, and uh, but today I want to make sure that that I purposely draw down, draw down my voice, draw down that my pace, so that I can really just give us time to just kind of absorb the thought process here. As we, as again, as we're in the year of faith, I told you on the phone tree that I had a title for the message that I'm not showing as of yet. I'm not going to complete that here as of yet. This is where. I really believe that I am as a person, and what I mean by that is, is in my relationship and communion with God, that in, in, my, in my growth, I actually think that as people come to either hear me minister or to speak to me personally, I think that to a degree, people have um, shown a measure of respect for the communion or the fellowship that I have with God. And so they're, they're, as, as you're seeking to grow, you're seeking to gain something or insight from someone maybe that has served God for a, an extended period of time. And in this case, I'm referencing myself being your pastor. And, and because, see, let me just tell you, just because somebody preaches does not necessarily know that, mean that they really have a, have, a, have a deep communion with God, right? So there's a lot of, there's a lot of pulpits and microphones and that this doesn't mean that somebody is intimate with God. And in, intimacy with God is very important as you mature in life, mature in your faith. You just, you just want to know him, right? You just, you just say, God, I just want to know you. And so when I think about this, I think, okay, well, Father, let's, let's see if we can then kind of connect this as the maturation of our faith and this journey of faith. 
there's a, there's a lot of ways that you can, that we can, you know, discover of the person of God and the nature of God and, and, and learn of him. But the critical points are is how has he chosen to reveal himself? That's really the critical issue. Now, obviously, we can learn of the nature of God through the sphere of creation, can't we? The great span of creation. The Bible even says in Romans 1, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made so that people are without excuse. Meaning the atheist or the agnostic, especially the atheist, when they stand before God on judgment day, there will be no credibility in their argument. When they say, well, I didn't see or I didn't hear. If you ever saw a sunrise, if you ever heard a bird sing on a spring morning, right? if you ever observed rain fall on a January, a early January day, then, then you have seen the handiwork of God. Now, I've thought about this farther, and, I, and, I, and I, I said, you know, even little intricate things can just reveal. And so I just chose something random because to make an example out of this. A grasshopper. Maybe I thought of grasshopper because that's where the, you know, the men felt like they were as grasshoppers in the sight. of the, You know, a grasshopper is a very unique creation, just a little, you know, grasshopper. If you look closely through it microscopically and you look at the, the intricate detail, its ability to... Many of its organs are, uh, you know, has sensory organs in its body, the ability to hear or to breathe from not necessarily mouth. And it's, it's, it's very unique. And when I was just gleaning it just very quickly and the ability that the grasshopper has to leap way beyond. I mean, I mean, we would sign up people on the basketball team if they had leaping ability like the grasshopper. And then they have wings. And, 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 and then when they, when, when they take to flight and they catch the wind, they can swarm, and then when they become a swarm of grasshoppers, it's typically called locusts, and then it can become a plague. Did you know that in the 1800s, there was a swarm of a locust that was recorded that was over 100 miles wide and over 1,800 miles long that went across the United States? And it was, could be devastating because they could come in and in a singular day wipe every green leaf from every tree branch every green piece of grass the garden could be stripped clean it can literally be a plague right and so you can look at this and say man I, as i look closer at this little bitty thing the grasshopper man i it it makes me marvel at the wonders of the creator who's chosen to reveal himself and his infinite wisdom and power through his creation i mean you know that's fair but see, here's the key, though. But you can't look just at the grasshopper to get the clearest image of God and how he's chosen to reveal himself. Does that make sense? And so we say, well, then where do we find this clearest? Because God himself has said he's the invisible God. So where do we get the clearest reflection or the clearest image of the person of God that gives us the knowledge of God so that we can have understanding. And then beyond understanding, we can have communion and fellowship. Well, I believe first it begins with the Word of God. The Word of God. It's very sacred. How many of you believe that today? That the, you know, we've become so um, electronic, you know, today, and many of us have Bibles on our phones or we have it on computers. We obviously put it on the screen. But just the book, you know, I've told you many, many times, Scripture 
simply means holy writ, scriptures, the scriptures. The scriptures declare the glory of God. The scriptures reveal the person of God. God chose this. That's what I want you to see for a moment of time. God chose. God chose to reveal himself through the word more than he chose to reveal himself through creation. Man has had a tendency to take little um, revelations of God seen in the creation and become idolatrous with it. We look at the sun or the moon or the stars and we hew out a statue or an image and we bow before it and we call it God. But God said, that's not God. I created all things, and, and, but, but that's not who I am. And so we can find it going all the way back, especially to Moses on Mount Sinai, when we have the first recorded instance where God began to write on some type of tablet his word, revealing his heart towards man so that man could have right relationship with him. That's very important. God has chosen to reveal himself through the word of God, correct? So I think that's first and foremost. We start there. And, 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 and how, can we, how can we relate? I mean, even, even that statement that I just made, doesn't that sound so, uh, so, so obscure almost, just almost so, so, so odd that we as finite individuals, we often feel like the grasshopper, maybe not in the eyes of our enemy, but in the eyes of God. We feel so small and insignificant about in, in contrasting to this, this all-knowing, all-powerful, never-ending, never, no, needed no beginning because he's always existed, God. And, and yet here we are, and we're striving to have communion with him and fellowship with him and relate to him and talk with him. And, and yet, But that's what he wants us to do. Based upon what we understand as we read and meditate on the word of God, God wants us to know him. So he's chosen to reveal himself through his word, and he's chosen the second, and then these are actually synonymous with each other. He's chosen to reveal himself through his son, right? Through the person of Jesus Christ. And you've heard me say this, it's written in Hebrews chapter 1, and I'll try to paraphrase it. I'll try to quote it, but it'll end up being a paraphrase. God at sundry times and in diverse manners, that's King James English, God at many times and many ways or in past times, he's spoken to us through the prophets. But he says, hath in these last days he has spoken unto us through his son, who is the brightness of his glory. Listen to this. And the express image of his person. And so when we see Jesus, and we still see him by the eye of faith, obviously you and I did not walk with him and talk with him, but we actually get to read the recorded accounts of men and women that did, and we get to look at Jesus through their experiences and it shapes our experiences, doesn't it? It shapes our knowledge of God, shapes our understanding of God. And we can even see a few moments where Jesus said things like this. He said, I always do the things that please the Father. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And remember this, as he's saying this, the majority of people didn't understand the magnitude of what he was actually saying. But he said things like, he said, I only do the things that I see my Father do. And I only say the things that I see my father, or, or say the things that I hear my father say. And I've told you this more than once, but I'll go ahead and repeat it here today. There was a moment when one of Jesus' disciples, Philip by name, came to Jesus. They were kind of walking as they often did between ministry locations. And he said, Jesus, if you will show us the father, it will suffice us. It will satisfy us. Because remember, to the Jew of that generation, God was in heaven, and yet God had could, chosen to reveal his glory behind the veil in the holy place in the temple in Jerusalem, 
where the Shekinah presence of God abode. But no one other than the high priest ever had access to the, behind the veil. And so they couldn't say that they had, they had actually stood in the presence of God. And so as they're walking with Jesus, and Philip makes that assessment and puts that question behind it and said, Lord, if you will just simply show us the Father, request, it will suffice us. And then Jesus said, Philip, how long have I been with you? And you have not known me. Because if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And so I can, I can kind of do a summary here today. That I honestly believe that the two greatest expressions, and they're really synonymous with each other, is the Word and Jesus. And Jesus is the Word, right? Even the Word says it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten son of God and so we see this so today so as we're doing this so what I'm saying is so as you and I begin to say help me to grow in my faith and in my understanding I know that I will not get a complete reflection or image of God through the grasshopper or through the star, or the moon, or the tree, or the bird, or the expanse of the universe. I'll get a little bit of display of his glory, but even the wonder and the spectrum of creation dims in comparison to the wonder and the glory of our God, because the creator has to be greater than the creation, right? And so with this, so we have, okay, I can get a little bit of understanding there. But if I become a student of the Word of God with a pliable heart, right, and I begin to really seek after God in prayer and communion, and I know that through the person of Christ and through the revelation of the Word of God, then there I can begin to discover His purposes and His intended relationship with me as an individual. And, 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 and that, that builds my faith in God because faith pleases God, which that's the objective of what we're doing. And so again, it was stated from the platform, you must know that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those that will diligently seek him. And so this is one of the things that I want you to know today, and I'm going to begin to, to make some connection here in just a moment. And that is, I made a statement last week, and I'll try to pick this back up. And I said, I said that there was something that was a stimulus for the faith of Caleb and Joshua. Does anybody remember that? If you don't remember it, do not raise your hand right now because you will get a zero on the board today. So if, you, so if you don't, let me repeat it for you here today. There was a stimulus in their faith, wasn't it? Something caused the other ten to stumble in unbelief, but something spurred the two to kind of raise up, tear their clothes in the midst of unbelief and say, brothers, do not do this. We are well able to take the land. Amen? And I said it was covenant promises. Does anybody remember that? So it was covenant promises. And so what I've chosen today to begin to talk to you about is that if you're really going to have faith that pleases God, you have to have an understanding at least to some degree of covenant today. You just have to. And you say, Pastor, why is that? Because, because the reason why I'm saying this is because covenant is the means, it's perhaps the greatest means in the Word of God that God chose to reveal the depth and the means of communion and fellowship that we can have with Him and His heart to us and what can be our heart towards Him through the term of covenant and through the means of covenant. And I know in the, in the again, the electronic generation, the modern era today, we're not quite as familiar with what 
what covenant means, but if you read the King James or the authorized version of the Bible, you'll find the word covenant there around 300 times. And so, I mean, it's in the Genesis, and it goes all the way into even the book of Revelation. You'll find the word covenant or testament in the New Testament. Just let me go ahead and clarify that for you very quickly. The word testament and covenant in the original language is the same exact word in Greek. The authors just simply chose to translate it testament in the New Covenant versus covenant, the word covenant as they did the old, but there'll be more of that in a moment. So pastor, what is that for just a moment? A covenant can be understood very quickly in the ancient world in its simplest form as an all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined perimeters and promises. It's a little bit deeper than the contract that you and I have today. Many times we make a contract, a business contract, but many times that business contract doesn't affect our family. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't necessarily affect our family. It doesn't typically affect generations, does it? I mean, you can go down and make a contract on buying this or, or, or a business obligation, but it's not necessarily going to follow to you for your children and your children's children. But when you find covenant in place in the ancient world and, in, and including in the Bible, I mean, many times these were perpetual covenants. They were called everlasting covenants, that once that agreement was made and the covenant had been ratified, that it was intended to be perpetual. And so, again, it is a mutual understanding between the two persons who bind themselves together with specific obligations to fulfill. Now, scholars identify seven major biblical covenants in the Word of God, and I'm not going to go into all of those today, but I'm going to highlight three for you here in just a moment of time. And so, when we see the word covenant first appear, it actually first appears in Genesis chapter number 6, during the time not of the deluge, we know of the covenant that God formed later with the earth when he put his bow in the cloud, and he said, I'll never flood the earth with water again. Does anybody remember that? That's not the first Noah covenant. The first covenant was the covenant God made with Noah. That when God began to move with him and talk with him during the time that they would build the ark to sustain life. That's the time, that's when you first begin to see it. And so in the Eastern culture, oftentimes when covenants were formed, there are steps associated with it. There's at least 10 steps often associated with covenants. Sometimes all 10 are met when a covenant is made, but all, uh, many times it's not the case. It may have been just two or three. I'll just highlight these just real quickly to you. I'm not focusing on these today, or at least on the majority of these, but there was often an exchange of roles. Today we sign contracts. Sometimes in those days they exchange robes. Even, for example, like Boaz and Ruth. You remember when Boaz negotiated for the right to marry Ruth outside the city gate? Once he and the brother uh, came to an agreement, he pulled his shoe off and swapped out with his shoe. And, and that was his means. That way when he had the shoe at home, he could say, hey, do you not remember? This is what we agreed on. And so there was an exchange of robes, an exchange of clothing. Sometimes there was an exchange of belts. There was an exchange of weapons. You'll see that in a covenant like David and Jonathan. Everybody remember that? The Bible says that their hearts were knit together. They made a covenant, and Jonathan took his armor and gave it to David. David took his and gave it to Jonathan. 
we see a sacrifice. Almost always a covenant was established by the sacrifice of an animal or the shedding of blood. There was often a walk of death. We're going to allude to that here in just a moment. There was a, a mark on the body many times, especially men to men. You know, when you were a kid, possibly, you, we used to, to, to do this. Kids used to do Maybe not this generation of kids does it today, but generations gone by, they would make, you know, can I say this without offending anybody? Indian covenants or Indian brothers is what they would say oftentimes. And they would cut their hand and they would slap hands together. Most kids wouldn't cut their hand. They would wait till they got an abrasion or a sore, and then they would run up to each other, and they would say, we're now blood brothers. Do y'all remember things like that from your childhood? If you read about it or talk to your grandparents, they'll tell you something similar of that. But many times there was literally a mark on the body that was made, and the two people were putting their hands together because it was literally their bloods were being unified and making them one in fellowship. And so they would then often pronounce blessing and curses. There would be an exchange of meal at times. They would exchange names, just like we do in marriage today. Oftentimes, the names are assumed. The names of the, of the man many times is assumed by the woman. Uh, and then they're, even in certain degree, not all covenants, there was an exchange of the firstborn or the eldest son in covenant. So you can read all that on your own, but, but just so you can just kind of see that, the word itself in the Hebrew comes from the root word meaning to cut. So people literally cut covenant. And so that agreement was almost always ratified by, again, the cutting of flesh, the striking of hands, or the flesh of an animal. And so I'm not going to take you into the, uh, to what we call Noah's covenant, but I am going to take you in as we start to say, I want to know God, I want to grow in faith, I, but in order to grow in faith, I have to begin to understand something, the way that God chose to reveal himself to mankind. He chose to reveal himself through a covenant, and we're going to first pause at Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to look at what's known as the Abrahamic covenant. Are y'all out there? So are, so are y'all with me today so far, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm on my pace, and I'm actually drawn down, so I'm okay. Genesis 15, let's turn there. Let's see if we can fill in. The text will be on the screen. We may not read the entirety of it. It's 21 verses. I'll probably glean through it very, very quickly. I'm probably going to go ahead and look down on it on my Bible just so I can kind of connect with it. But Genesis uh, 12 gave us the record of when God called Abram from the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. And we've spoken about this before. Actually, that was in actually Genesis 11. It carried forth into Genesis chapter number 12. And to really, to be honest, the record of the Word of God kind of commences from there to narrow through his lineage. Previously, it had been through, eight, through Adam and the sons of Adam. But now it's a very focused narrative from chapter 11 slash 12 forward in all the word of God, almost the entirety has to do with this covenant that God formed with the man that was, uh, that was living in the land of the, what we spoke of last week or two weeks ago about Mesopotamia and the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, and the, the Fertile Crescent. So it was north east of Israel. There was no Israel at that time. There was only the land of Canaan. And so God had called him from the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is way over by the Arabian Sea, to journey all the way across, then down the international highway. And as he began to walk through the area, the land of uh, Canaan's land, God appeared to him. And when God appeared to him, God began to speak to him certain words and promises 
And, and, and that began to, to be uh, given to him by an oath. It wasn't written, but it was spoken to him in some audible way. I don't know. It says here it was in a vision. And so, but but, but uh, other times it was possibly by an oath or by a word. So let's just read it if we can just real quickly and see if we can get the gist of it. That's all we're trying to do today. Just get the gist of it. After these things, I'll read pretty quickly. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Abram, fear not. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Because God had already spoken to him about how that all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed through him. And at this time that God now appears to him, several years later, he doesn't have a child. And, and his frustration is kind of showing in his communion with God. I want, to be, I want to say this very carefully. Oftentimes we get so religious that we think that we can't show frustration to God in prayer. Let me go ahead and go a little bit farther than this today. God is not offended when you're honest with him in prayer. And so Abraham in his communion is just kind of saying, God, you said I would have descendants like the star of the sky, and I don't even have a single child. The only child of God is Eliezer uh, in, in my house, and he's not mine. And so Abram said, uh, it said, to me, you've given no seed, and this one born in my house is as of right now, he's my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, That shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And here's where he brought him forth abroad, and he said, Look at the stars in heaven. And he said, uh, he said So shall thy seed be. Kind of remember that. Tuck that in your spirit. And he believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And Paul picks this up later in his dialogue about justification by faith. So in this moment of time, there's a belief in God, and it's counted for righteousness. Righteousness is very important for faith. Because if you're going to be in faith with God, you've got to be accounted as righteous in the eyes of God. And so in this moment, his, uh, his righteousness was obtained by faith. And so, and he said unto him, I'm the Lord that brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, well, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? And then here's the process or the means of covenant. And so I want you to just catch this with me. We're just going to see. He said, take me a heifer of three years old, a goat of three years, a ram of three years, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He took unto him all of these. He divided them in the midst, and he laid each piece one upon another. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So you can see this. The animals are slain, and they're laid out on one side and laid out on the other side because oftentimes that's how a covenant is exchanged in the Eastern culture is the two parties pass between the animals uh, as they form and ratify the covenant. But you'll notice something very specific about what takes place in a moment. The sun goes down, a deep sleep falls upon Abram, and a horror of great darkness falls upon him. And then in his dream, God comes to him and says of a surety know that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that's not theirs there's the prophetic revelation about the journey to Egypt and shall serve them and they shall afflict them for 400 years and the nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterwards shall they come out with great substance and you're going to go to your fathers in peace and you're going to be buried in a good old age and in the fourth generation, he said, you're going to come back again. He said, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. We can't talk about all that right now. But here's when the covenant is made. But here's what's unique about this moment. Abram doesn't walk through the pieces of the animals as if fulfilling his part. In this particular promise here, it's not based upon Abraham. It's based upon the one that's making the covenants God. 
God himself as a fire, notice this, as a furnace, he himself passes through those pieces. Verse 17, and when the sun went down, it was dark, a smoking furnace, a burning lamp, it passed between those pieces. And in the same day, catch this, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, I'm going to give you and your seed all the land from the river of Egypt into the great river Euphrates. So there's a prophetic promise tied to covenant that's being made between two, uh, I don't want to say pieces of animals, but a singular lane of animals, of animals on one side and animals on the other. And I know that many people kind of get weirded out by that, but that's just the nature of the culture that, we're, that they were living in. It was the shedding of that blood. Almost all covenants were ratified with blood. The animal's blood was shed. The individuals passed through the pieces. But in this instance, there were not two individuals. It wasn't Abraham going one way and God going uh, the same way. God simply passed through it by himself as if saying, I'm going to make sure. Even if you fail on your side of this covenant, God said, I'm going to do my side. Right, which is going to contrast a little bit of another covenant that we're going to look at briefly in a moment. And the majority of our time of reading of Scripture is going to be bound in Genesis here for one more passage. And after that, it's going to be much quicker than this. So does that make sense? So here's the moment where a singular man who has a wife but no children, in this moment of time, God, the infinite God, the awesome God, the omnipotent God, has chosen to come down, share vision with him, commune with him, give him an oath, and even form a covenant with this man. Man. Isn't that powerful? That's the first place, Joe, where we find God forming a covenant that's based upon relationship. Abram believed God. He believed what he heard. Like Mary of old, when she heard the word and said, let it be according to thy word. Abram believed the word and was counted righteous in the eyes of God. And that's why later the Bible says that Abram became the friend of God. Are y'all out there today? A relationship was formed through the power and the virtue of covenant. If you're going to grow in faith, you need to understand the power and the virtue of covenant. You need to become a student of it. So we find just a little bit farther, because I want to show you this. This is important before we begin to narrow this and take this a little bit farther. I know it's a very learning environment in here today, but I am not ashamed. I want you to know this. I want this to become real because when I tell you what the title of the message is here in a minute, I want this to be so, uh, so, so deeply embedded in your spirit that you can speak it confidently, confidently, that you can say it with clearest of conviction. So in Genesis 17, so as this, we don't, I can't go into all the story, but it was 13 years earlier when God had come to, uh, to, to, to Abram, and now he still doesn't have a child. And he's 99. How many of you know sometimes God waits until flesh cannot be glorified, but only God can get the glory? And so God has not forgotten because let me tell you, if I can get you to remember one thing, uh, I'm gonna, I hope you remember a lot today, but especially this one, God doesn't forget covenant. When God forms a covenant with someone and somebody enters into covenant with God, you, can, you may forget it, but God will not forget it. And Abram, after night, he's got a child by now. He's got Ishmael because he stumbled through the tent of Hagar. It was kind of Jerry Springer-like. We won't even go there. And, and so in this set, he's got a son. He's a teenage son. But God said, that's not the seed. That's the seed of the flesh. He said, but I want you to have a seed of promise. So we're only going to read 11 verses of Scripture. And then that's going to be the bulk of the Scripture read. There'll be some additional, but it won't be as great of depth. And Abram, 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. 
And I will make my covenant, there's the word again, between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him and said, Behold, my covenant is with thee and you're going to be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name be called, remember the name exchange? Neither shall your name be called Abram, but thou shalt be called Abraham. And we could develop that, which we won't. That last phrase is taken from Yahweh, from the name of God. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations come of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations. For an ever, there it is. For what? For an everlasting covenant, not a contract that is good, okay, this contract's till the end of the year. Notice that, it says an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee and to who? And to thy, don't forget that now, and to thy seed after thee. It's very, very important. And I will give unto thee, there's the land, and to thy seed, and the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And you're going to keep my covenant, therefore thou and your seed after thee and their generations And this is my covenant. So God said, here's the sign or the mark of my covenant. He said, between me and you, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. Remember I told you almost all covenants were ratified by the shedding of blood. Sometimes the shedding of the blood of an animal. The animal's blood had already been shed when God first initiated the covenant 13 years earlier. But now the covenant is being ratified and God is putting a burden of expectation now upon Abraham and this expectation is is that he and all the males of his household would have the foreskin removed in circumcision and it would be a sign or a mark of the covenant does that make sense and it ties them as long as they are in covenant with God then the promises of God are in effect And the power of that covenant through circumcision is very important. And we're going to see it unfold in a few moments. So let's go back and see if we can kind of begin to jump this forward. So this was in Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17. We focused on chapters 15 and 17. But in chapter 15, God prophesied of a 400-year season of bondage. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat his 12 sons. The end of Genesis records the, the accounts of Jacob and his sons sojourning where? into Egypt because of the famine that's in the land of Canaan, correct? The book of Genesis closes with that relationship of Joseph and Jacob's sons and and his brothers and the promise of bringing his bones back. And and the Bible then tells us that a Pharaoh was born who didn't know Joseph. And so as an end result, he began to put bondage upon the people of Israel. Are y'all out there today? The sons of Jacob began to multiply. And they grew, just like God said, he said, right now there's just you and your wife Sarah. Then there's going to be a son. But he said, but don't, I'm not finished. God's a God of multiplication. And there's Isaac, and then Isaac got a wife, Rebecca, and then Jacob, and Jacob had two wives, and then he had four handmaidens, and then he had 12 boys, and then he had a lot of daughters, and then they're beginning to multiply. Now they're in Egypt, and now they're like the stars of the sky. And so the story and the narrative of the book of Exodus then, and the transition, is after 400 years, the people are groaning because of bondage. And you may remember that when God comes to Moses, whom he sent in front of them, who tried to be a deliverer when he was 40 years old and was thrust away, and he goes to the land of Midian, and this mighty conqueror who had been trained in the, war, in the, in the art of warfare in Pharaoh's house is now living like a shepherd until one day on the back of the Midian desert, a bush began to burn, but that was not consumed. And the God of Abraham 
comes to him. And when God comes to Abram and speaks through the burning bush, what does he say to him? He says, I'm the God of Abraham, I'm the God of Isaac, and I'm the God of Jacob, and I've heard the groaning of the children of Israel, and I have remembered, read it on your own later, Exodus 4 through 6, and I am the, I have remembered my covenant. Because let me say this to you again, God doesn't forget what he promised. And so now, when Moses finally dialogues with God enough to gain the confidence to go and face Pharaoh, he makes his journey back. And this is a very interesting part of the account. Now, obviously, I can't take you to all these scriptures, and I'm having to just give you the narrative. Is that okay? Because we'll be here a long, long time if I do so. And on their way, when Moses goes and tells his wife Zipporah, who he's married in the land of Midian, that we're going to go, we're going to go to Pharaoh... Now, Moses has been circumcised because it seems as the practice of circumcision had continued even during the years that they were in Egypt. But when he begins to go from Midian and head back to Egypt, the Bible says this is how important being in covenant with God. When God says that you need to circumcise all the members of your household, did you know the Bible says God sent an angel to kill Moses and his sons, but, Moses, but particularly Moses' sons, because they weren't circumcised. And Zipporah freaks out about it. She doesn't even get a knife. She reaches down, finds a sharp stone, and she circumcises her two sons and casts the foreskin at the feet of Moses and says, you are a bloody husband to me. But it's that important because if God said it, Because if Moses is going to go and bring the children of out, every man, male child, must have the mark or the sign of covenant. And so with this, very quickly, to just kind of add, so now we know what takes place through the deliverance of Egypt. They're brought out by the power of God, correct? And they've crossed through the Red Sea. The waters have swallowed up. The Passover has already taken place. All of that. And they go to the base of Mount Sinai. The place near the area where Moses had the burning bush experience. And there God promises Moses, you gather the people around the mountain because I'm going to come down and sit down on the mountain and it's going to be the most exciting and the most traumatic thing that they've ever seen and the most powerful thing they've ever heard. And there on a granite mountain, the God of all glory one more time chose to reveal himself. And there he sits down in the fire with the lightning and the thunders and he begins to speak. And the people hear the, what? the audible voice of God. And in hearing the audible voice of God, they hear what's known to you and I as what? The Ten Commandments, correct? Nobody gets a star beside their name. The whole church failed. I'm going to have to grave on the curve. The Ten Commandments. They heard the Ten Commandments. But then, here's what I want you to see. So after he speaks these the commandments, God then immediately, if you go back and read in, in Exodus chapter 20 is where the Ten Commandments are listed, chapters 21, 2, and 3, God gives some immediate laws to the people of God because it's very important. Remember, God is now, he is now interacting with man. Now he's got a family. He first had a man, a patriarch, but now he's got a family and now it's a nation. And God wants men and women to be able to interact with each other peaceably and in a 
accordance with his goals and his intent, his purposes. But he also wants man to have accessibility, at least to a certain degree, to his presence. So he gives him laws and means and, and ways for man to access God. And then here's where it said, I want you to see this in, in Exodus chapter 24. It's very, very important because this is the second covenant. We've already looked at the Abrahamic covenant, but this is very, very important that you catch this. This is just a few verses of Scripture. So now after they've received a measure, Moses has written down, verse number 3 says, of chapter 24, and Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. And what did Moses do? Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill, 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered sacrifices, and they burned sacrifices and peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And then Moses, look at this, Moses took half of the blood and he put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And look what he did. He took the book of the covenant. And he read it in the audience of all the people. And when he read the book of the covenant in the audience of all the people, what did they say they would do? All that the Lord has said, we will do and we will be obedient, which differs some from the original Abrahamic covenant. Because in the Abrahamic covenant, God simply passed through and said, I'm going to honor my word. But in the Mosaic covenant, God said, I've got things I need you to do. And if you do your part, then I'm going to do my part. It's a conditional covenant. You, they're both parties are responsible to fulfill their uh, obligation. And so then Moses takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the people and says, Behold the blood of the covenant. In the book of Hebrews, here's what this. I want you to see the image of this. The book of Hebrews says that when Moses took the blood, he didn't just sprinkle it upon the people. He sprinkled the blood on the book and the people. And doing so, what he was saying is here we have the oath. We have the words of God. We have God represented by the oath. And we have the people. And the blood brings the two together. The blood brings the two into covenant. And so now they're in covenant. It is a conditional covenant. If you be obedient, if you follow the words of God, God said, I'm going to bless you. Are you out there today? It's a covenant. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. It's the Torah. It's the law. So now let me take it one other path. We're going to actually go back one chapter because as you do so, I'm going to show you this here in just a moment. I think it's really important and it's going to begin to connect to last week's message and then I'm going to go out with the flurry here in just a moment. But if you're really going to grow in faith, if you're really going to deepen your relationship with God, if you're going to know Him intimately in the way and the means that He's chosen to reveal Himself, you have to understand covenant. At some level, you cannot be ignorant of covenant and be in the depth of communion that God wants you to have. So in Exodus 23, look at only two verses. So this is prior to, this is the words that were said that were written down in the book. Here's what the Lord said, verse 22. If you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then God said, I will be an enemy to thine enemies, and I'll be an adversary unto thy adversaries. And my angel will go before you, and I will bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites, and the Cellulites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And God said, I will cut them all. Because what God was saying, God put in the Mosaic Law, once again, what he told Abraham, every male child has to be circumcised. You cut your foreskin off, you be obedient unto me. God said, I'll cut your enemies off. Does that make sense? So now you say, Pastor, what does this have to do with faith in our generation? Remember what I told you last week. I said there was something that was in the heart of Joshua and Caleb that when they saw the grasshoppers, they weren't belittled 
the way that the other ten men were. And when the other ten gave such a negative report and caused the heart of the people to melt in unbelief, Joshua and Caleb had a stimulus in their heart that said, we can do it. We can take the land. What was that stimulus? It was a covenant promise. And so here's the way I can perceive it in my mind. I can see Joshua and Caleb, when they tear their clothes in the presence of all that unbelief, and the people are mourning and grieving and murmuring and wanting to go back to Egypt because the power of unbelief is robbing the people of their future, Joshua and Caleb, are, they are acutely aware that they are in covenant with God. And they were, I guarantee you, they were of the people that were standing there that day when the blood had been sprinkled on them. And I'm sure Joshua turned to Caleb and said, Caleb, don't you remember that he put the blood on us? We're in covenant with God. And when they tore their clothes, and you can make more of this if you want to, they could look down and they could see that they were in covenant with God. And as long as they were in covenant with God, they didn't care how big the giants were. They didn't care how walled the cities were. They didn't care how numerous the people were. But what all they needed to know is, is God true to His Word? And if God's true to His Word, then we can take the land because greater is He that is with us than he that's coming against us. Because Joshua and Caleb understood. Here's the title of the message. We're going to put it up here. They understood that they were people of covenant. And your life will radically change. And you'll get up every day. And you'll shake the mully grubs off. Depression and despair and anxiety and fear will begin to roll off of you like water off of a duck's back. When you begin to understand that you are a man or a woman of covenant and you are a person of covenant and you are in covenant with God. Man, that's a good word right there today. I said I wasn't going to preach loud, but I'm getting loud. So let me take you before I close the message today real quickly. I probably preached a long time, but who's counting? Yeah, I know some of you are. The people of the covenant leap forward hundreds of years. Jason, the message that you preached, Zacharias, that covenant was really important to the people of Israel. So you really had two covenants, covenants, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, not really dependent upon one or the other. Kind of folded together, but yet uniquely separate at times too. So when you preached that message a couple weeks ago, Jace. Zecharias began to prophesy over his son. And when he prophesied over his son, the prophetic word was also that the reason why God was sending the forerunner to the Messiah is because he had remembered his covenant. It was that real to them, Joe. It was that real. It was just a part of who they were. They believed that they were in covenant with God. And so then we can, in turn, say, okay, what does that have to do with us? Let's transition this and make this to more of a modern application, if we can, before we close the message out today. So now, we're still back in time. We've been 4,000 years back. Then we were 3,100 years back. And now we're approximately 2,000 years back. It's 33 years later from the time that Zechariah spoke of the covenant in Luke chapter number 1 when he prophesied over the forerunner to the Messiah, his son, John. And this night is called Passover night. And this night, a rabbi by the name of Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus, who we call the Christ, 
is seated at a table in an upper room as the Passover light comes through the window. The moon is full. It's early spring. It's festive in Jerusalem, but there's always uncertainty because of Roman occupation. Jesus shares a meal, the Passover meal, reminding all of the Israelites, every person at the table, including Jesus himself, of the night they were in bondage to Egypt and God brought them out, fulfilling his prophetic word. And when he finished with that meal, he took a cup and a singular piece of bread. And he first began to break the bread. He put a piece in the hand of each one of his disciples. And he said, take it and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup after he had supped. It says plainly, Luke chapter number 22. You can read it on your own. And he said, this is the cup of the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, the listeners in the room, the 12 men, would not have understood the fullest ramifications of those words. Let me tell you, as I summarize it, give you just a summary of it if I can here today. It would take them years to understand, Shane, the magnitude of that statement. This is the cup of the new covenant. They believed that they were in covenant with God because of the mark of circumcision, because of the blood of the goat or the bullock or the lamb that was in the sacrifices in the temple. But now Jesus said that you can be in covenant with God not because the priest takes that blood on behalf of your sins and presents it to God as a sacrifice, but rather that in this cup right here that contains prophetically my blood, he said, if you put your faith, this is kind of a summary, you can pick this up as they learned and they grew in their understanding that they again began to arrive conclusively in their doctrine. We read about it in the Gospels, but we primarily read about it in the Epistles. They arrived as Jewish believers understanding that their sin debt could never be, it could never be satisfied in the blood of a bullock or goat any longer because God had folded up that old covenant. And now, for a man to be declared righteous, a man or woman to be declared righteous, you put your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That this man offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Never would there ever be another need for anybody to go to a brazen altar and slaughter the the lamb and pour the blood out and burn it on the altar and present part of its blood in a holy place. There would never be another need for it because God accepted the eternal precious sacrifice of the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary once and for all. And if you read, this is kind of the narrative folding it all together is that that man became the mediator of a better covenant that's based upon better promises. Does that make sense to you today? And so you and I today, you say, Pastor, what about, am I in obligation to fulfill the will of God? Yes, absolutely. We want, to comp- we want to fulfill God's will and word for our lives. But listen, our love and communion with God is not dependent upon the weakness of our flesh or our ability. It's completely dependent upon our faith and what Jesus accomplished on the tree. Right? And so we've been declared righteous in the eyes of God because we put our faith in Jesus. Does that make sense? And that's for Jew and Gentile alike, correct? Does that make sense? I'm getting ready to close. Stay with this. You know, I usually say that three times. Getting ready to close. This is so important. And if you don't let me finish this, 
you won't let me do justice. And, it, and, and, and you may always be shrouded, shrouded from having a greater understanding of the depth of relationship that you can have with God. Because when you understand covenant, it changes everything about you. So can I go now to two passages here? Now, I probably will skip the very last one. But I've got to go to, to the book of Galatians. So remember, the men that were in the room with Jesus that night, the men that were in the room with him, Peter, James, John, right, Matthew, Bartholomew, Thomas, the 12 disciples that we would probably all struggle just a little bit to be able to, to, be able to name, probably take one of uh, Vakel's students to be able to name all 12 of them here today. And so I want you to see this. So, so with this, though, as I said, let me go ahead and clarification here. I said that those apostles, it took them time to learn this. They were so rooted in that old covenant, it took time to deconstruct their faith and then reconstruct their faith in the new covenant. It took time. And so the one that came along with the greatest revelation wasn't in the room, the room of Passover that night. It was the apostle Paul. God gave him very, I believe he was the Moses to the New Testament the way that Moses was to the Old Covenant. So look at this for just a moment. This is in Galatians 3, 26. We're just reading it quickly and closing. It says here, For you all, for, excuse me, for ye are all the children of God, by what? By faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I know as you were hearing us talk about circumcision, some of the ladies were like, well, how can I be included? It's a fair question, isn't it? In this context today, in relation to God, it's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise and i know that many of you when you read the word of god you have high you have high respect for the patriarchs abraham isaac and jacob and you should they're the fathers and then you have high respect for what we call the people of israel and you should because they were the descendants by nature of the fathers. But if you don't understand the power of the blood of Jesus, you will live your life like a second-class citizen, not knowing that you are in covenant with God. I want you to know today I'm in as much of covenant with God as Abraham was when he circumcised his own flesh and presented it as a sacrifice to God in initiating the covenant. Because if I am in Christ... I am Abraham's seed, and I am an heir according to the promises of God. Man, that's a good word right there. I don't know what other churches are getting this morning, but you and I are receiving a measure, just a hint of the revelation that will deepen your communion with God. And I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter number 2. I've got to. I'm going to skip Hebrews at the end. I'll probably open with it next week because obviously I'm not finished. But obviously I'm starting to wear you away. That was, uh, that was a great place for somebody to say, no, 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 Pastor Brown. But. So now let's, let's close with this. You've heard me tell you about this text of Scripture. This text of Scripture 
is as liberating as any passage in all the Word of God. Because guess what, church family? You and I, as I close this message, you're going to walk out here today and you're going to remember one thing. We are people of covenant. We're people of covenant. So the language that was used in the New Testament and the epistles often mirrored the, the expectation of that first century Jew who was a child of covenant, but who's still trying to filter this Jew-Gentile. So if you were a Jew, you had the mark of circumcision, you were a descendant of Abraham, you followed the Mosaic law, then you were in covenant with God. But the Gentiles were outside the covenant. They weren't in fellowship with God. But then this blood of Jesus was applied to the tree, and or was, was shed on the tree and was applied to the mercy seat in heaven. And suddenly, they began to realize that, wait a minute, his death wasn't just for the people of God. That Jesus came to die for the sins of the whole world. Isn't that right? And so, let me say this. So when they began to understand this, especially through the illumination that was given to the Apostle Paul, let's read this together. And I'll just read it on the screen with you and put my Bible up here together. So he said, remember that in times past, you were Gentiles in the flesh. Many of them may have not been uncircumcised. Or been circumcised. As a matter of fact, he said, you were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. What he's saying here is that the Jewish people looked upon the Gentiles and they called them uncircumcised because they were circumcised. And that meant that they thought they were in covenant with God, but the Gentiles weren't. So let's go a little farther. Verse 12. At that time, this is who we were. We were without Christ. And we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And we were strangers. What were we? We were strangers. We had no rights. We had no promise of blessing. We had no accessibility to God. There was no access point to God. Even under the Mosaic law, the people had access points to God. They had it through a priest. They had it through a prophet. They had it through blood. They had it through sacrifice. They had it through the altar. They had a few access points to God. But if you were a Gentile, you were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger from the covenant. You didn't have hope. You had no hope of a brighter tomorrow. You had no hope of eternal life. You had no hope of eternal blessing, of an everlasting promise. And you were without Yahweh God in the world. That's a place of desperation. That's the loneliest place that you could ever be, is to be without God in the world. Verse number 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes catch afar off, I'll identify that in a moment, you're made nigh by the blood of Christ. When he said afar off, he's talking to the Gentiles. He's saying, you are way out there, way beyond the covenant of Abraham, way beyond the covenant of the Mosaic covenant. You had no access point to God. But now, through this man's blood, through Yeshua the Messiah, through Jesus who was born the Lamb of God, the eternal toning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sin, who came as a ransom for the sins of many, the one who pillowed his head on death on the tree, who prayed and said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. When the veil was rent in two, it was that Jesus when he died. Now in him, you are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. He is our peace. And he's made one, one broken down that middle wall, that separation, that's language of the temple there. Verse 15, he's abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, things that prevented some of our access points to God. And he made it himself of two, two people groups. He made one new man. And so he's made peace. Let's read down. And that he might reconcile both 
unto God in one body by what? There's that reconciliation. That man's sin debt was satisfied in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he slayed the enmity thereby. Verse 17. And he came, this is really important right here, and he preached peace to you. Daryl, would you join me on the platform as I close the message? He came and he preached peace to you who were afar off, to every Gentile, to every nation, tribe, and tongue. 2,000 years ago, a clarion call began to be made to every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. To the Africans, there was acceptability to God. There's access points to God. Come to Christ. To the Europeans, hey, there's access points to God. You can access the one true God. There's an access way. There's a means. To, to, to all the Asians, to the, to, the, to the Asian continent, to all the people living 2,000 years ago, you now have an access point. Every person that's afar off, 2,000 years later, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. The 200-plus nations of the world, 300-plus nations of the world, you have an access point. We preach peace to you. You're way off. But then to the Jew, to the Jew who was close, to the Jew that knew the law, the Torah, the prophets, the priests, the temple, the tabernacle, Moses, Abraham, the prophets of God, the Psalms, David, to you who are near, to you who are near, through him, through Jesus, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. We have, now we have access to God. See, remember what I started this message? I said, I want to help you grow in your communion with God. Your fellowship with God. Verse 19, we're not finished. It gets better. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. But you are a fellow citizen with the saints. And you are of the household of God. Oh, my gosh. Thank God for that today. What does that mean? Put it up here again, Lori. It means we're a people of covenant that's what it means that's what it means God welcomes you into his presence he longs to sup with you that's why the book of revelations wrote it in the way we could understand it he said my father and I we knock at the door if you'll just open to us we'll sup and we'll have fellowship we can know him did y'all know that today you can know him you can every day deepen your communion with God because you're a person of covenant today. You're not without hope. You're never alone. Did you know that? Never. Say, Pastor, I've had some lonely days. You may have had some lonely days, but I want you to know you may have thought you were alone, but you were never alone. You were never alone because he promised he would never leave you or forsake you because he's in covenant with you. Are y'all out there today? He's in covenant with you. In the person of his son, God made covenant with man. And we have an access point to God. And we can have fellowship with God. I love that passage. If you put that last verse of scripture on, this will probably lead me into my sermon for next week. That last one, yeah, we'll go back to uh, in Ephesians. It would be in Ephesians, Lord. That last one, I think Ephesians 17. Or, or, but it's okay if we don't. It just simply said that we were previously strangers and foreigners, but you're a fellow citizen with the saints. That's why you, 
You square your shoulders up. That's why you don't let your head hang down. That's why, let me tell you this, your merit is not based upon your natural worth. Right? Does what kind of car you drive have anything to do with your value to God? Whether you live in a home that you own or whether you live in a house that you rent, does that have any? Does that, does that bear anything to your communion with God? You're a member of his household. You have fellowship with him. He loves you. You say, Pastor, I, I've sinned against God. Well, you know what? He quickly gives you access ways to, clean, to be cleansed of that sin. Repent quickly. You know, when your heart's really knit to the fathers, I'm telling you, you repent quickly, don't you? I mean, because you just like, God, I don't, wanna, I don't want anything. Because that's born of covenant. It's not born of obligation. It's not born of condemnation. My quick repentance is born of the, of the value of my relationship with God. I don't want to sin against him. And so his Holy Spirit, God loved you so much that if you put your faith in him, he said, I want to remind you of this covenant. And the way I'm going to remind you of this covenant, I'm going to send my spirit into your heart and join my spirit with your spirit. And together you're going to live and love and worship the one true God. Because if you're going to worship God, it was said earlier today, you've got to worship him in spirit and in truth. We're people of covenant. You can put that back up here today. People of covenant. Changes everything about your life. Male or female. Isn't that what it said? Didn't we read that? Male or Jew or Gentile. Can we say it this way? Rich or poor. White or black. Does it matter? Of any tape, uh, shape or size or any such thing. What matters is, is that through faith in Christ, we have the knowledge that we're in covenant with God. And if you're in covenant with God, let me tell you, God will not forget you. As a matter of fact, he's pinned you on the palm of his hand. Because every time that Christ, his hand is, ex, is extended, there's a nail scar there to remind God of that covenant that he's made with man. Are y'all out there today? Aren't you thankful to be a person of covenant today? I'm going to give a twofold invitation. I'm going to let our heads be bowed and our eyes closed. And number one, the first invitation is very simple. Very, very simple. Maybe you've come to this house today. And if you examine your heart, you would be honest and say, Pastor, I'm not in the faith. I know about God. I have an awareness of God. But if you're going to ask me very personally, Pastor Brown, do I have an intimate, true relationship with God revealed through the person of Christ? Pastor, I'm going to be honest, I don't. But I want you to know today, this is me talking now to you. You can. You can. He simply asks for you to believe. Remember we talked last week, God's given to every person the measure of faith. You have the capacity to believe. You can believe in Jesus today. He's the mediator of that new covenant. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know the Lord the way you're talking about, and I'd like for you to pray with me today. I want to see... If you'd slip up your hand today and just identify that, I'll pray with you today. I'll wait. Is there anyone? I'm looking from my left to my right, all across our congregation, just waiting. Because you never know. I don't know who comes in here each week. It could be somebody that's for the very first time. They just got in their car today and drove to church. And today they were confronted with the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of covenant. Is there anyone? 
Secondly, today, number two, and this is how we're going to stand in a moment, and we're going to pray together. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm on this journey with you. I'm excited to be on this journey with you and the pastors. You could hear through their verbiage, through their words that they spoke. They're on this journey with me. We're together. We're, we're, we're unified in this. It's a year of faith. We're growing. We're all in this together. We're all students, and we're hopefully able to be teachers too. But we're definitely all students on this journey. We all want to grow in our faith. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, pray with me collectively, corporately, that God would open my understanding to the simple truth that it took you a long time to share, that I'm a person of covenant. We're people of covenant today. If that's you, slip your hand up today, because I'll pray with you right where you're at. Hands are going up all across the building. Stand up. We're going to pray collectively as a people together today. And honored. I feel honored to do so. I feel honored. I want the sincerity. I want to ask you to join your faith with mine. I want to really, and I want to mean that with everything that's within me today. Do you believe in personal moments? You know, we as a church, we make, we have the altar, don't we? But we make the whole building an altar, don't we, at times? The whole building becomes an altar. And, and at the end of this message that I preach, and I know I've gone a long time, and, and I know some churches, pastors preach 30 minutes. I'm sorry, this is not that church. And, and so with that said, I believe in this moment here where we join our faith together and we're just praying, God, help us to know you more intimately, more personally, and to grow in our faith as we do. And it starts, it starts with understanding that we're a person, we're people of covenant. We're in covenant with God. You're not a stranger or a foreigner to the kingdom of God. You're a fellow citizen. Isn't that right? You got all the rights, all the rights, all the privileges, all the access points. You have all the access points to God because you're a person of covenant today. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. And Father, I'm going to walk away today feeling like I shared everything that I really wanted to share. Everything that, that was in my heart. I may have omitted some things, God, but Father, I believe that will be reserved for a later moment. We'll gather it up at another time. But I felt there was a sweet spirit of faith in this room today. Faith was absorbing. Faith was hungry. Father God, because I know we add to faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Did you hear that? The apostle Peter writes in his epistle, add to your faith virtue and to add to virtue knowledge. So today, God, I believe that there was illumination taking place. Many of the people under the sound of my voice, they already knew everything that I shared. But I tell you what, I believe that it stirred their spirit to hear it again. But there were others that this was new. This was something almost an entirely different angle. They never really thought of it that way. And today, God, it strengthened them. They're going to, God, be like Joshua and Caleb. They're going to fight their battle. They're going to take their land. They're going to live for you, God, because they had a knowledge of that they are a person of covenant. They're in covenant with you. God, give us all greater understanding. Illuminate the text. Illuminate the word. Let each one of us go and read in the book of Exodus, the book of Genesis, the book of Father Hebrews, Lord, as we, as we seek to know about this new covenant that's established on better promises, God. That we'll go back and we'll reread Galatians 3 and 4 and we'll reread Ephesians 2, God. We'll, we'll just be praying all the while saying, God, give me the knowledge, the understanding, Father, to help me live my life for your glory with the communion and the fellowship of a man or a woman of covenant. 
that I'll know, God, that you do not forget your covenant. And if you don't forget your covenant, you don't forget your people. And you won't forget us, God. You're with us, God. Like Joshua and Caleb said, for the Lord is with us. He knew it. He knew it because he was in covenant with God. Let the people of my assembly, let the people of this assembly, the people that you have so graciously allowed me to pastor and share from my personal experiences, God, to be able to share of how it can be life-altering, life-changing to know that you're in covenant with God. Let the people grow in their understanding. And as they grow in their understanding, listen to this, we close. Let their faith grow. Isn't that fair? I think that's fair. Isn't that right? I believe it's biblically accurate. Put this to test. Put it to the litmus test this week. Take what you've heard today. Study it out for yourself. Ask yourself and see if those things aren't so. You're people of covenant. I thank God for it today. It's in Jesus' name. I bless you with all the faith that God's given me. And God's people said, amen.